This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This week, the Clarets look to kickstart their home campaign with a win over Southampton, and they also face Millwall in the third round of the Caribou Cup. This is the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Known and Never podcast. Here we are again, another jam-packed episode. Lots to talk about, lots to review and lots of exciting issues to delve into. I am your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me as ever are regular panellists, George Poole and Richard Steele. George, welcome back to a new season. It's your first time on. It feels like a completely different world. To, and it was only a few months ago when I was last on, but I remember saying to you, I, I want to get back to going to away games next mm-hmm. season. <laughs> Never mind away uh-huh. games, we can't go to home games. I know, yeah, we were talking about this in last week's podcast that this now been pushed back, I think, to, well, it was supposed to be the 1st of October, wasn't it? It's been pushed back again now. Um, but how was your summer? Did you have a good break? It was as good as as possibly could be. I mean, at the start of lockdown, it was quite nice because I managed to get out on my bike a lot and the, the weather was lovely. And then once the businesses started opening again, it was back to KFC for me and uh, hashtag key worker. May I let you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that, young George. You certainly saved my life by opening those KFCs again. I can't, I, I didn't want to wait all season without, all summer, sorry, without my chicken. Uh, so yes, thank you for that. Thank you for that service, George. Um, and Richard, our favourite adopted Wiganer, welcome back again, second time this season already. Yeah, second time this season. Um, not many Premier League wins, which is disappointing, but um, hopefully this week, um, one one playing one player staying in particular, which is good, and hopefully a few signings this week uh, and our first win to come on Saturday. But yeah, great to be back on. Excellent. Well, how about that setting up for the podcast? Because of course we have quite a few bits to talk about this week, and we're going to start with what we didn't really want to talk about, and that is of course a second loss of the season and a, a loss at home against Southampton, which was a game that we all really wanted to win. We all thought we would win, and one that we thought would would put three points on the board. And uh, we don't really like to lose those kind of games at home, so we're going to delve into the Southampton game and try and figure out what went wrong for the Clarets. Um, but then we'll get a little bit more positive later on in the show because we are going to look at 
at um, that fantastic win against Millwall to progress in the Carabao Cup and also looks at incomings and outgoings and Torgate and people staying, so fingers crossed. Um, but let's go straight into that game. Um, George, not the result we wanted, certainly the first half, not the performance we wanted. Um, and we were very much stung by a really crappy early goal. Yeah, and of course it had to be bloody Danny Ings, that legend. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's going to quickly become the new David Nugent if we're not careful. Uh, obviously, they capitalised on the... We were just a bit sloppy in the first few minutes, defensively, you know, really poor. And I think without that goal, I think the game was fairly even. Maybe Southampton had the better the first half, but, you know, neither team really created much. And if you take that goal out of it, I think you could say a draw would be a fair result. But, it's, you know, it's really annoying to lose a game like that where neither team really pushes on and creates many chances. And even though we were on, on the strength, you'd have liked to think we'd beat Southampton at home, even with the starting eleven we put out. Uh, you know, we didn't create much at all. And yeah, it was a sloppy, sloppy early goal to concede. You're always on the back foot from there, especially after losing the first game of the season. Yeah, I mean, George, I mean, it's difficult to, to criticise really, because obviously we've got a couple of, of really inexperienced defenders in there with Ben Me and James Tarkovsky still being out injured. Um, but as you say, I think the defence actually went on to do all right for the rest of the game. Do you think we concede that goal if we have them two in? You know, is it just because we had inexperienced centre halves, or is it just one of those goals that we were always going to concede? I think you've got to. You could chalk it up to maybe the the actual Kevin Long and Jimmy Dunn haven't played together that much. I mean, there was variance in opinion with whose fault it was. I mean, I I said it was Dunn looked way out of position. You know, Che Adams didn't even have to run around Dunn. He just ran in a straight line and he was through. Uh, but then my friend said, well, actually, if you look at it, maybe Kevin Long plays Adams on side and Dunstead stepped up. So it could be a case of uh, actually just the, the centre-back pairing not being used to playing with one another and it's just ended up with that goal. And like you say, the rest of the game, they were fairly solid. And I think there is definitely promising signs from Jimmy Dunn. But again, you, you're going to get you, you, you're going to get taken apart if you make experiences in the Premier League. And it's just it's probably the only way you'll learn. But in the meantime, it's going to cost us points if we don't get either me or Tarkovsky back before long. Yeah, I agree. Um, Richard, I saw quite a lot of commentary on, particularly on social media, how about how Southampton did a Burnley on us. You know, they got that early goal and then they just really tightened up and just didn't really let us get back into the game. And we really struggled to break them down and try and find a way to, to get that equaliser. Um, I did kind of feel that, did you? I did feel like that was the kind of performance that we put in when we got 1-0 ahead. Yeah, I thought it was actually a really good away performance from Southampton. You know, they didn't create loads. And I think I was watching a game with my dad um, and he was saying, like, you know, Pope didn't really have a, have a save to make, but I thought they controlled the first half completely. Um, and then second half, they pretty much let us have the ball, but knowing that we wasn't going to create much with it. Um, going back to the game they had previously against Tottenham when they conceded five and they defended with a really high line, they obviously worked on that. Uh, for the you know for the game on Saturday, sat a little bit deeper, um, and they just completely soaked up our pressure. I thought we'd give it a bit of go um, at the start of the second half. Obviously, Taylor had that good shot. Wood had a decent chance with a header, but overall, the last twenty minutes we just really um, ran out of ideas. Maybe ran out of legs a little bit, which can obviously in the situation we're in the situation we're in when we've got nobody to bring off the bench makes it difficult to really like push on. But yeah, I thought. 
personally, Southampton were very worthy of the three three points. And if that was us putting in an away performance, we'd have we'd have, we'd have said how well we've played. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Richard. And I think I think for me, we did we did improve. I think in the second half, and I know Dutch came out and said that he took a lot of positives from a, a more resolute second half performance, but. But Richard, for me, just the lack of creativity in the side and the lack of pace really, really worried me on on Saturday. It was just an absolute, just a blatantly obvious for anybody to see. McNeil, I wouldn't say he is on quite his game at the moment. That's not a criticism at all. He's been fantastic for us. You know, he's a young lad still learning his game. And I think a lot of teams know that he's our main threat and are probably doubling up on him. I thought Taylor had a good game, uh, got down that wing well, created a few opportunities. But yeah, we're just so lacking creativity. And, you know, and, and pace, like you said, Natalie, Dice has come out and said those players cost a lot of money, but that's just really what this team needs. We can't just rely on McNeil all the time to do the business. And not in every game are we going to score from a corner, a score from a set piece. So obviously there's been links with um, Wilson. I think he'd be an excellent signing for us. But, you know, with Burnley, it, you never know what we get over the line. I'll be really disappointed if we don't get a, a winger or, or a creative midfielder before the transfer window shuts. Yeah, I mean, th- that's definitely fair. I completely agree with you. But I think we do also need to bear in mind as well, of course, that when um, Goodmanson and Brady are both fit, you know, they do then back up McNeil. I don't think either of them are as classy as McNeil I think McNeil's by far our our best player in that respect um your hands not far behind him but he's more of a workhorse I think you know and, and he has moments of, of really great creativity but we do have the ability you know when when Brady and Goodmunster on their game we can create a lot more chances than we do so if we have both of those out injured at the moment we're having to play Brownell out on the wild and Dale Stevens in the middle which isn't ideal um that I thought was really difficult um George I don't if you felt the same but I know we had to because of bodies but pushing um, Josh Brownell out onto the wing was just really difficult he, he just marked him out of the game didn't it? Yeah I've got to echo the thoughts of Richard we, we need a winger I think to be honest I think we're absolutely screwed without a winger because Brownell's going to have to play out there the majority of the season we've seen we can't rely on Brady and Goodmanson to stay fit uh, and I agree McNeil's off his game at the moment but you know it's only a couple of games into the season it can quickly change um, but we seriously need a winger because Brownell out wide, you know, we've brought Brownell in and he's been brilliant for us. So it would be lovely if he can play in his actual position and not get cornered into mm. the Hendrick situation of playing wide right all the time. And it, it, you know, it's it's just really not ideal for going forward with us on the right the right wing. We're going to have Phil Bardsley, brilliant defender, and we're going to have a centre mid out right. It's just it's not it's not really ideal, is yeah. it at all? No, and then you end up really struggling to create anything and then everything has to then go down the left wing because Taylor and McNeil obviously link up very, very well and they do a lot of creativity. But that's just so easy to telegraph for opposition size. They just double up on McNeil and they just uh, mark um, Charlie Taylor and and that's it. Our our attacking threat has been completely nullified. So, yeah, I I, I do agree. and We'll we'll come on to transfers later on in the show to see, see what it is that we need. But I think more than... I have noted in a long time with our lack of pace and our lack of creativity when certain players are out injured was really, really telling. And it, it really, and of course, we're without Jay as well, and Jay does run around a bit. So, 
you know, we're not completely absent of those players in the side. It's just unfortunately every man and his dog at the moment's in the in the injury room. Um Sticking with you then, George, and we'll, we'll come on to a couple of controversial points in the game. Um, Burnley, of course, could have easily turned this around, either equalised, got a point, or, or possibly even and three of those. And, of course, I'm talking about two ridiculous decisions that by VAR or not by VAR that went against Chris Wood. Um, George, sticking with you, I'm going to start with the um, penalty appeal. Um, Chris Wood went down. He got it was um, I don't know how you pronounce this. It was the um, is it Bednarek? Is that how you pronounce it? Um, Southampton defender pushed him in the back and he went down. Um, literally no penalty given. So was that I guess first question a penalty for you? No, no. I'd I'd be fuming if that went against us. If that was talks or me. And look, the argument is yeah, we've had them given against us, so therefore we should have them given for us. But at the end of the day, I I wouldn't be. I'd if that got given against us, I'd be fuming. So I can't now sit here and say, well, we should have had a penalty. And Dash is always a stickler for saying my players don't dive this, this, and this. And maybe it didn't. He didn't dive, but he did go down very easily. I mean, you know how big and heavy is Chris Wood? He's a he's a he's a muscly guy. He's a tall guy. He's, he shouldn't be going down there. And obviously, there's not much on if he stays up, but. You know, I, I've, I know Robbie's a stickler for this. I really don't like it when our players go down easily. You know, especially with how Dice says, oh, we, we never dive and all this. So not a chance that's a penalty for me and he, sh- he shouldn't be going down. I'm <laughs> sorry to be so harsh. No, that's absolutely fine. This is what we're there for, to debate them. I think um, I agree with you. I don't want our players to dive. I don't want them to be the next Deli Alley and, 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 and just be diving and rolling around all over the place. But I don't think we can gloss over the really important point that you raise then. I'm going to pass this now to Rich to see what he thinks. It's all very good and well as saying that we don't think it should be a penalty and we don't want our players to dive. But we can't gloss over the fact that we have had too many of those penalties given against us. And all that I'm asking for here is is for the playing field to be levelled. And it kind of makes that irrelevant as to whether we think it should be a penalty or whether we want it to be a penalty or whatever it is. If other sides are getting those and they're getting the points... Or, or we're being penalised for those kind of um, fouls that, say, me and Tarkovsky made, then we should be getting those same decisions. And, Richard, I'm so frustrated that we never seem to get on the right side of those. Listen, we, we always want a penalty, don't we? And there was, a, there was an argument to give it to Wood, but I'm on, I agree with George. I don't think it was a penalty. Um, and I think penalties have been given this weekend for, you know, for similar incidents where defenders have gone into the, um, into the back of players and I've been given which which I thought were more of a penalties than ours. What I would say is, I didn't see actually Bednarek pushing Wood. You know, he, he had his arms on his back, but he didn't really look like he pushed him to me. And he did go down very easily. Um, and I agree with what George was saying. You know, Dice goes on a big crusade about diving and whatnot. But when our players do it, I don't think he's as savvy. I mentioned in a podcast um, before he got injured, I thought Bar- Barnes was actually doing my head in with, you know, with how much he was going down before he got injured. So, yeah, listen, we want as much penalties as we want to. Um, and there's definitely been times where we should have had penalties and they've not been given and they probably would have been given to the bigger clubs. But I don't think we can get too precious on that one um, at the weekend on Wood. Well, I might get precious on behalf of everybody. Then I might, I might take this battle myself because I'm just so frustrated by this. And I just think, 
Um, I don't disagree with whatever you've said, and I think if the if the playing field was was even, I would love it if we just stamped out those kind of ridiculous penalties. But the amount of times I've watched Sky commentators who are the world's worst for this, or other pundits, you know, when when they're trying to justify a a, a, a penalty against a club that they like or a big club, or they're trying to protect the brand of the Premier League. We hear it consistently. Well, you just can't, you can't, any contact is a penalty. You just can't put your hands on the back. And no, there wasn't a great amount of shove, but you just can't do that. You can't do it. You can't put your hands on the back. There'll be a penalty. And in the modern game, that's a penalty until it doesn't suit and it's against us. And suddenly it's said, oh, there's nothing there. You know, you know, he's, he's gone down too easy there. He's trying to buy that penalty. You know, that for me is not about, and I'm just sick of hearing the inconsistencies that pundits are making worse. So, uh, I'm going to I'm going to leave the crusade with that. Oh God, George is flagging at me in in, in the chat now. He's going to he's going to come in and say something. Go on, George. Well, I, I just wanted to say I think we're in a tricky situation. Well, the players are at least in that for the past three or four years, when obviously it's been flagged by Dash saying we we don't dive, and the the pundits come on match of the day and they say, oh well, Burnley should have really been a bit more clever mm. there. You know, they've stayed on the feet and they've got what yeah. they deserve by not getting a penalty. And I think it. It's the same as like the tackling situation where football's become a non-contact sport. It requires a systematic overhaul of football in England, whereby it needs to be if you dive, you get a retrospective red card. You know, otherwise, this is just we've we've reached a tipping point, and we're never going to be able to go back to a game where there is no diving. You know, and maybe a game where we can actually tackle players without it being a foul. Mm. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I just. It just it just seems to me that maybe I'm more aware of it because I'm biased against Burnley, but it just always seems to be us that gets on the wrong end of it. And it's like you said, Dash said at the weekend, our penalty record speaks for itself. Um, so let's look at the other controversial one. Now, this one's a bit of a weirder one to unpick, and I think we'll probably end up in the same position as we did with the penalty, but this one just felt like an absolute farce. Um Wood again. It, it was the same. It was the same same player. I think Wood got uh, in front of Bednarek and and went on to put the ball in the back of the net. But before the actual move was complete, this time the assistant flagged for offside. Bernard Stryker continued his run and put the ball in the net, and but the referee had already blown up, which basically meant that the referee had made the refereeing linesman had made the decision that it was offside without going to VAR without allowing it to go to VNR and as a result VAR couldn't then check the goal now this is even more frustrating because um, VAR rules instruct officials very clearly that they must not flag or whistle until a move is complete now obviously this just caused so much confusion and frustration on the Burnley bench Dyke was going off his head and and especially with this one it's such a, a marginal offside um, and then on top of that, we then heard that apparently there were some technical problems and the referee's earpiece wasn't working. So he couldn't hear any instructions from the VAR studio. <sighs> Richard, where do we start with this one? I think just to summarise, VAR this weekend has just been an absolute shambles. I mean, this penalty decision for going into it, oh my God. I've never been as annoyed as a as a penalty being given for some for a neutral game as that Eric Dyer one at the weekend that was given. So just the whole thing's absolute shambles. The the governing bodies, whoever FIFA, the FA, who are running it, are absolute clowns. These referees aren't much better. 
you know, actually following the rules. You know, I do have some sympathy with the refs with this handball rule. Like I said, on Saturday, um, the VAR stops working and then the liner flags when, you know, before he's supposed to. So the ref's got no choice to stop play. Thankfully, the ball, uh, sorry, thankfully Wood was offside. Um, or there would have been absolute uproar if Wood was offside and then that goal got disallowed. Question I've got is, if if it was proven that the goal was actually onside, would they have still disallowed it? I don't know what the protocol would have been there. Um, they've, they've really, really, not just me coming on this issue, they've really, really got to be careful football with the use of VAR and, and some of these rule changes. There's so many people on my Twitter who have said, I, I'm not watching it anymore people's already lost interest because fans aren't allowed to come. And now with this handball, it is complete. And, and the VAR and the offside rules and when do we flag, when do we not flag? Is he off by a toenail? Is he onside by a toenail? It's really making a mockery and, and taking a lot of enjoyment out of the game. I actually, on, on Sunday after that Tottenham game, I watched some of the cricket IPL instead of watching Leicester and Man City. That, that's how disillusioned I was with football and VAR on, on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, George, that was just such a, a good summary and I'm not entirely sure that I could have put it any better. Well, I'm not, I know I couldn't have put it any better myself. I think Richard's really hit the nail on the head there. It is absolutely ruining the spectacle of football. Um, and to their credit, a couple of really high-profile managers have come out this weekend and, and said the same thing. Um, obviously, Crystal Palace's, um, I think it was Joel Ward, was, um, there was a handball against Joel Ward um, and Roy Hodgson just came out and said it was absolute nonsense and it, it, the game is being spoiled by these handball rules. Now, obviously, he's going to feel aggrieved because it was against him. Um, but actually, t- just 24 hours later, the, the story, the, the Spurs game, Newcastle were ordered a really late penalty for another just shocking, shocking decision. And to his credit, um, Steve Bruce just didn't leave Jose out there on his own trying to fight this crusade, even though he acknowledged that in this occasion that it, it went in their favour. He noted that there will be times this season that they will go against them. And he just came out and basically said it, it, we're ruining the spectacle of the Premier League. Um, and it's absolutely right. And I think, George, I think the, the Premier League's in real danger at the moment of ruining the brand that they've built. Do you think that's fair? Well, yeah, just on the Burnley game first, it was an absolute farce. I mean, imagine if Wood was onside there. The, well, Richard was asking, what's the protocol? Well, I bet there isn't no bloody protocol because it shouldn't have happened in the first place. You know, he shouldn't be flagging up before the play's finished. And they've been told that God knows how many times over the course of the summer on the referee's training course. And I just want to know where's where's the accountability, you know? After the game, we've heard we've not heard a peep about it, but where's... Where's the punishment for that mistake? Because that could have been a game changer if Wood had been onside because, you know, it won't always go in the referee's favour like that. I mean, it's just an absolute joke. And then add that in with the handballs. I mean, I'm the same as Richard where I've, I've been seeing it on Twitter over the weekend and I normally come and watch match of the day, you know, during the week when it got, gets put onto our player. There's not a chance I'm watching it this week. I'm not watching them, uh, Eric Dyer jumping in the air trying to head the ball and it being headed onto his arm. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I, I, di- I didn't see much uproar about this rule change in the summer because I bet people didn't know. But now it's out there and known. There's not a chance they can stay with that. It's it's absolutely farcical. 
Yeah, it's always really difficult, isn't it? You know, what we don't want them to do is to just stick with this for the whole season because they've got to be seen to be fair. You know, we've only played two games. Some people have played three. And I think it's early enough in the season for them to take some proactive action with this now and actually sort this out because it's just, if we go like this all season, it's going to be a difficult enough season as it is. There's there's talk at the moment about it being next year, possibly as as late as April before fans are allowed back in in stadia. Um, If we've got a whole Premier League season where everything, there's no fans in stadiums, there is, you know, football is being judged on the television and it's being judged by um, stats and by, like you say, toenail. There's a lot of tours in this episode. Torgate, we've got James Tarkovsky's tour, we've got tours in offside decisions. This is going to be the tour episode. Um, we, you know, it, it, it's just, it's going to be a very difficult season for, for the Premier League and they're going to have to be very careful that they don't irrevocably damage the brand that they have worked so hard to build so um well like I say you know both of those decisions I think as we've got to were right we think that it wasn't a penalty even though I'm still going on that crusade um that it's right that it wasn't a penalty and Wood was offside so that it's not like we were robbed out of three points um but I think as we've all said the the lack of pace at the moment is definitely concerning us we don't want this situation to go on for much longer because we don't want to be losing three or four or five games at the beginning of the season and having to play catch-up. Um, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. We've seen in the past couple of days that a lot of Burners walking wounded are back in training. We're starting to see some players coming back. Um, fingers crossed we'll get some signings over the line um, and then I think Dyche is probably looking after the international break. We might have a squad back again. Um Richard, just very quickly, just before we move on to those transfers, it's difficult to play the first two games and lose two and be in the bottom three. But at this moment in time, I think it's fair to say we're not concerned yet. Oh, no, I'm, like you said, I'm always really disappointed and frustrated whenever we lose. Uh, it takes me a day or so to get over it. But I still think we'll, you know, we'll be all right this season. We'll become top half again. Who knows? I think it'll be difficult. Um, football can change really quickly. We've seen that. Um, you know, when we are one of them teams, when we're bad, we are really bad. So I'm confident we can turn it around. As you mentioned before, it looks like we're going to get a lot of players back um, after the international break. I think that's come at a good time for us. I actually wish the international break was this weekend, but Newcastle aren't great. I, want, I know they're playing Tottenham. They were shocking there. They played Brighton at home and they were terrible, even worse. I think, uh, listen, it's not going to be one for the, you know, for the neutral. It's definitely going to be... Um, a very tight affair, but fingers crossed we can go up to Newcastle. And I think if we can uh, get a get a win on Saturday to get our season going, and knowing that players are going to come back after the international break, um, I think I'll put everybody in a lot more good spirits. But if we do lose, and you're looking at it three defeats in a row, that's you know nobody wants that start of the season. But you know I'm still confident that we'll be okay this year. Well, let's have a look then at this squad and see what the Clarets do face. Um, you know, once we've got all these these key players back, what exactly we're we going to add to the squad as well. Um, George, let's start with you. One signing that has already got over the line is, of course, Dale Stevens, who signed from uh, Brighton, and we believe it was about a million quid the the eventual signing on fee. Um, how do you think he did at the weekend? Good fit. Uh, I think it's fair to say it was pretty. Poor at the weekend, to be fair. Um, but I, I feel like it'd be a good signing overall. But I, just on the weekend, I mean, it's the type of player it is. But when the team's not creating anything and Stevens is just jogging around, you know, if you're sitting in front of the back four, you know, it doesn't really fill your heart with 
joy. But, you know, I think it'll be a solid signing overall. And, you know, it's the same old shrewd business. Phil Bards that we signed for, what, probably half a million. And he's been brilliant for us. And I think the Stevens will do similarly well. Um, yeah, we we needed someone in just as a backup in centre mid. And it, obviously, while we've got these injuries, it allows Brownhill to go out wide right, uh, which means we'd have to play Eric Peters out there. Uh, so, yeah, solid signing, but safe to say his debut wasn't awfully impressive. But I think he'll come good. You know, it, Brighton fans really rate him. And it just seems that he's moved on because they've changed the style under Potter. So, yeah, still got a good few years left in him. And I'm happy with that signing. Excellent. OK, well, I don't think we're going to get anybody else in central midfield, Richard. So I think the next sort of big incoming player that we can look at, which is what we were talk- you were talking about earlier, um, some much-needed pace and creativity on the wing. We are still in talks to try, we were led to believe, to try and sign um, Harriet Wilson from Liverpool, who is a Welsh winger. Um, about £16 million's being talked about for that set fee. Um, again, right fit? Yeah, I think it'd be a very good signing. I think one of our first, as George mentioned, I think Dale Stevens will do a job, but it seems like quite recently our signings have been quite ageing players. So to get somebody who's young, got lots of potential, um, who's done well at this level, you know, went to Bournemouth last year. I think everybody was expecting him to maybe do a little bit better. But I think for 16 million, I think it's a good price. Give a you know a good bit of creativity um, on that right-hand side. He can, he can drift inside too which Dice likes his, his wingers to operate. And also something, I can't remember the last time we scored from an actual direct free kick. Um, so he's got so much quality in that area, which will be a massive plus for us. Listen, you, you never know with Burnley. When, you know, you've seen the link, I think it was last Wednesday it come out that Burnley were in talks and, you know, see, still seems we are now. But so we need to get that deal done for, mon- uh, for Monday. I'm cautiously optimistic that he will sign. I think it'll be a very good signing. Fingers crossed um, we can get it done before Saturday and that he can be in the squad, but that might be pushing it too much. But yeah, I think it'd be a much um, a welcome signing. Great age, um, somebody who can improve um, and would definitely add a little bit of flair um, to our midfield. Yeah, definitely. And I just I just think to be able to be in the running for a player of that calibre and to take him from a side like Liverpool, I think he's... I think we've been maybe worried at times that we've just not been in talks with some of these players who, excuse me, listeners, who've been, um, you know, who all the sides have picked up for relatively decent money. We don't seem to be on the ball with with some of these. So I think this is a good coup as well for us in terms of, of getting a, a decent signing in. Um, I just... I don't really... There's all sorts of names now, George, being, being passed around. I think it's getting to that point of the transfer window where... Um, press are just trying to keep the transfer news in the in the news cycle all the time. We've had all sorts of, of names. I'll, I'll I will name some of the few other other players that we've been linked to: Ryan Christie, Craig Dawson again, um, Bournemouth captain Steve Cook, Watford's oh sorry Craig Dawson we've already covered, and Palace's Scott Dan, as well as a very odd one um, midfielder Mark Rocker from Espanyol. Um, Listen, George, we have no idea whether these are paper talk, absolute hot air rumours, or whether there's any talk in them. Um, certainly the Espanol one, Rocker seems to stand out like a sore thumb because that's a very un-Burnley style um, signing. I, I don't think we've been that active in the European market at the moment. Um, but other, from those names that you've been mentioned, are any of those that really stand out to you as being ones that you would really like to see come in? 
literally not a single one. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> that, that rocker one. That just, okay. <laughs> that rocker one just stinks of, you know, just fake, fake journalism, really. I mean, it's, it's we were signing that Baptiste Santa Maria last month. For, well, you know, he, <laughs> that name quickly went, uh, came and went. And I think, you know, the same will be for that rocker. Uh, the rest, um, Ryan Christie, at, to be honest, I don't watch Scottish football, but 25 years old, uh, the, the rumours are saying Dash has been after him for five years or so. My mates who watch Scottish football all say, you know, he'd be a good signing. Uh, so, yeah, maybe that one's one to keep an eye on. But as for the three almost retired centre-backs, <laughs> they don't really fill my heart with joy. Um, I feel like, as Richard was saying then, a lot of our signings recently are just older players on the wrong side of 30. And maybe it's just the case that Dyche and, you know, the board are thinking, well, let's just get these players in, steady the shit, make sure we stay up and don't get relegated before the club gets taken over. Um, as for the European market, though, we keep saying, oh, the club don't go in the European market yet. Well, when when does yet finish? Because it's been five years now and we've still seemingly not got a structure in place. You know, Dyche has said recently, you know, we oh, we, we can work in Europe now. We've got this you know, scouting team in place, but we're yet to see any fruition of it. Uh, Stephen DeFore obviously being the anomaly a couple of years ago. I just want to see, you know, it's been five years. Where, where the hell's our European scouting team and what are they doing? Because we're not signing anyone from there. Well, no, you're quite right. I'm not entirely sure, sure where they go from. And, and definitely Burnley's transfer activity needs to be widened further away from, from Stoke, essentially, which is where we seem to get most of our... Um, signings from but I, it's disappointing that we are this close again Richard to the end of the transfer window and there's just just paper talk and there's nothing particularly inspiring I think Wilson's a very inspiring sign I'd be very pleased if we get him if we got if we did manage to get Dawson and we got Wilson as well I think that would be a really pretty solid transfer window wouldn't it yeah I think yeah I don't think you can argue I think Wilson's the one who, who would excite me and I think it's the player that we need the most we just seem to be you know, signing players out, or he'll he'll do a job. He'll 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 be all right. And it's kind of, yeah, I agree with you. But they're not that inspiring, and they're not really improving the team that much. Um, yeah, I think Dawson's an experienced centre half. Um, obviously, he's been relegated in his last two Premier League seasons. I don't overread into that too much. You know, we signed Tom Eaton, and he conceded like loads of goals for Bristol City, and look and look what he did and. But yeah, um, I think they'd be decent signings um, um, um Wilson. But, you know, like George was saying, uh, made a really good point about the European market. I don't know why we're not going in there more. You know, players are cheaper. One market I'm surprised we've not got in for is, is your Scandinavian market. Um, you know, your uh, you know, Swedish, Danish players. You know, you look at Goodmanson. I know he was at Charlton, but those those types of players always seem to, you know, work hard, graft and with good technical ability. Um. I don't know. We'll we'll just see how the end of the window comes. I'll be absolutely amazed if we don't get anybody in at all. If between now and the end of the transfer window we don't sign anyone, I definitely will not be a happy bunny at all. But I still have a little bit of faith left that we'll get Wilson over the line and then, yeah, pro- probably a coughing dodger centre-half. <laughs> I don't really know how to respond to that. <laughs> coughing dodger centre-half. <laughs> Put him in the ballboard. <laughs> no, I I agree with Richard though. Wilson would be a brilliant signing, you know, and signing someone of his caliber from Liverpool. It goes to goes to show, you know, how far we've come as a club. 
But you know, on the point that oh, we'll get Wilson in a centre back. I think we've we've got really to be careful of how small our squad's getting of first team calibre players. I mean, I know obviously we've always ran with a, a tight, small squad under Dice, but this summer we've let a lot of freebies go. Uh, Hendrick, Lennon, etc. Et Last summer we only signed we signed a few players, but realistically only Peters and Gerard, uh, first team quality players who are ever going to play. Uh, obviously, barely people Farrell's going to bide his time. Um, and this summer we've only signed one first team player uh, in Dale Stevens, so I think we really need to be careful. Every year it seems we see we sign one or two yeah. players, and yet this last summer we've let quite a few go. We you sit, you look at the state of our bench on on uh, Saturday. It's it's not good enough just to sign Wilson in the in the final few days of the transfer window. We need quite a lot of players to actually have a functioning squad because it's all well and good saying, oh, let's wait until after the international break when players come back. But our squad's always got four or five players injured. You know, there's there's no chance we're going to keep this full squad fit for the season. Yeah, you're right. And I think one of the points that a lot of people are making as well is it's not just necessarily bringing in volume of players. We've got a significant number of our current players who are all out of contract by the end of this year. Um, Ashley Westwood this week has, has started by uh, signing on for another three-year deal, which I think is a really great bit of business. I, I'm a huge fan of West Day. Um, but, you know, we've, we've got a lot of business to do. We've got to get these players in and we've also got to secure the ones that we want to keep. Otherwise, we're literally going to be in a situation where half of the squad goes out the door for free next season. And it's, yeah, it's worrying times. Um, Richard, which brings me quite nicely on to um, what we are all wondering and speculating is the problem behind the scenes. Um, we know full well that, that finances are always cited as being the problem with, with transfer window. And we know that um, as great a job as our chairman has done over the years to steady the ship and, and, and build some really solid foundations, we've kind of outgrown him a little bit and we no longer have the wealth behind us to be able to buy the players that we need to come in. Um, and the rumour that has been escalating and escalating over the last seven days or so is a rumoured takeover by an American consortium to come in and buy the club. Um, exciting times, nervous times. We obviously need some investment, Richard, to, to progress, but how nervous do we all feel about suddenly being in the hands of foreign ownership? Um, I put a bit of a tweet out last week and I said Burnley fans moan about us not signing players and then they moan about when we do sign players and it's the same with this ownership they moan about garlic and then we're linked with someone and they're like oh we don't want those Americans we want someone else um, so it's a little bit tongue in cheek but me personally I'm very excited by it um, you know I thank garlic for what he's done um, I think gen- you know, genuinely over this time period he's had um, the best interest of the club at heart you know, arguably, you know, the record doesn't lie. He's been Burnley's most successful chairman for, you know, for 50-odd years. Has that been mainly because of Dyche? Who knows? But, yeah, I think un- we we need to have that investment. I think when you support a team, you want to see them getting better. And I think the frustration is at the moment for a lot of fans is it just seems like we're happy to stay up every year, which at the moment, OK, you, you accept it. But I, I do want to see us consistently challenging for the top half. I do want to see us, you know, challenging for Europe. You know, you've seen teams do it. You know, Leicester Wolves, um, you know, they've had that backing, you know, when they've gone on to the next level. Of course, it can go the other way and it can go south like it's happened with many clubs. But I trust Garlic for what he's done with the club to to have done his research, to have done his due diligence. That 
these people um, are going to come in and, and they're, and they're going to do it properly. That's fingers crossed. And just imagine what Dyche can do with a little bit of money. You know, he's done unbelievable things at this club with, with, his, with his hands, you know, with one hand tied behind his back. So me personally, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm very hopeful um, about it. And I'm, whenever it does get taken over, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. It'll be really exciting to see where Burnley can go, um, you know, to the, to the next step. Absolutely. I am also in camp excited about this opportunity. Um, I think for me, I'm definitely, I'm, well, I think one thing that we do need to talk about is that there seems to be a little bit of a a crusade against garlic and loads of uh, Twitter profiles are coming up with garlic out and, and, and like just quite nasty remarks about him. And I think that's really uncalled for. Um, I've been quite vocal in my belief that I think it's time for him to move on, but not because of incompetence or not because of, you know, nastiness or anything like that. When, when the time does come for garlic to step aside, he goes with my absolute well wishes with a huge handshake and a massive thank you for us for what he's done. Um, we all got incredibly excited in 2014. We all, we all wanted to be signing the world and chucking £50 million on players up every single season. And he did a really good job. He took it all on the chin and, and he very much managed expectations and, and made us be sensible and made us be very frugal in our approach. And this, the foundations that he's built on, the, on for the club from that have been incredible is is put us in the position we are my reason for him thinking that it's time for him to step aside is is genuinely just that I think now that he's just the club's outgrown him I don't I think he's now in a situation where he can no longer take us any further forward I think I I agree with what Richard's saying there I want to see us progress and I want to see us get investment I want to see us really push on and I don't think um that Garlic has got the contacts in the sport and I don't think he's got the financial clout to be able to take us any further so I think we just need to stop this now can we stop this piling on Garlic and, and, and and having a go at him I think that's that's not just uncalled for I think it's bang out of order um but George, I'm I am excited about investment. And one thing I wanted to, to come upon as well, there's a lot of people it's winding me up. If I see another, be careful what you wish for tweet, I'm gonna lose my head. Um to me, a new investor does not have to be a Burnley fan. And I think there's a lot of people saying, Oh, we don't want to sell to anybody who's not a Burnley fan. Nonsense. I think that there are very few clubs that do get owned by fans, and I think if we hang around waiting for a billionaire who is a, a Burnley lad born and raised or a Burnley woman born and raised and who will be the next Barry Kilby or the next Mike Garlick. We're going to be waiting a long time. Um, so I think for me, it doesn't matter that they're not a Burnley fan. I'm just excited about the opportunity. Yeah, I am excited, but I'm, I'm also terrified at the same time. And, you know, you never, you never know what could go wrong. But I totally agree with you. You know, you look at the likes of Wolves and Leicester and you think, well, what's so special about those clubs? It's just the fact that they've got good owners. Well, not good owners. We've got a good owner. It's that they've got bloody rich owners. And, you know, if someone came in, I mean, you'd hope that these people have money, you know, a decent amount of money. Imagine what Dice could do with a budget, like Richard says. It'd be absolutely brilliant. And I, I, it's good that you mentioned the, the hate Garlic's been getting because I think it's just ridiculous. He has taken us as probably as far as he can. But at the same time, he's been an incredible owner of the club. And I actually, I actually know, like, in the past, Garlic's, you know, the club's been potentially offered to support other supporters who are rich, wealthy businessmen. But they say no, because I'm a fan of the club and I don't want the stick the stick that I'll get 
you know, like Garlic's got if I take over. So, you know, I think this is a, could be a really good move for us. You'd you'd hope this is, I'm inside, I'm really incredibly nervous about this, but you've got to hope that because Garlic's done so much to get us to where we are, you've just got to trust the guy that he's putting the, the ownership into really good hands. And it will be an exciting time when, if, if, if or when we get taken over. But, you know, I don't think it's wrong to say that it will be a sad day mm. for the club because, you know, it, it, we we have always been owned by fans and locals and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to say, you know, it is sad that that's not, no longer going to be the case because, you know, it, it might be that the, the gap between the community and the club grows. Um, but at the same time, it realistically, it's the only way we're ever going to progress because if we say, well, we only want to sell or just to keep garlic, then, you know, we're either going to stay in the Premier League for a few more years, but eventually we're going to go down and Dash is going to leave. So yeah, but positive, you know, you look at you look at the likes of Wolves. Why can't we go yeah. and do that? I, I mean, I, I don't think I don't even think it's it's right to say that we'll be in the Premier League without investment or without moving on. That we'll be in the, the Premier League for a few more years and then Darch will just leave. I think that I think that timescale is months, not not years. Um, I think we're at a critical point at the moment. I don't think that we can survive much longer without some investment in forms of players or to kick on. And I I don't personally feel that the gap between community and club is going to grow just because we've got foreign owners. Um, that spirit of, of the people of Burnley will always be there. We are the fans and we might have a different custodian. Deitch talks about custodians. It's not just managers, it's at board level as well. We might have a different person at the helm, but it's still the same fans who are there week in, week out. It's the same guys who, and uh, same people who work behind the scenes, the backroom staff, the commercial staff, the media team. You know, Burnley and the community will always be there. The the food banks will be there. The ticket office in staff will always be there. The programme sellers, the Golden Gamble lady will always be there. She will have to be there because I, I can't go to the football without hearing Golden Gamble shouted in my ear. Um, so it's, it's really important. I think that will always be there irrespective of the owners because it's our club. Um, but I think I think we need to we need to take a leap of faith. I think we need to be brave. I think if we are scared and we don't allow us this opportunity to progress and get some external investment because we're too scared about what the future will hold, then we will just shrink and this Premier League adventure will come to an end and we may not, we may very well do, but we may not get back up again and we may just end up being a smaller club in the Football League. And what worries me about that is that I think at some point before long that the football in the UK will be, in England, sorry, will be two leagues. It will be the Premier League and the Championship because the way that the lower league football is going and the lack of investment down there, it, they will just fold. And I don't want us to go there. And I think we have to, actually, I think we have to go for this now to protect our long-term interests. So we shall see what this investment will bring. We'll see whether this takeover comes over. Um, listeners, this is a really difficult subject for a lot of people and I know people are very strong in their opinions for it. Please do get in touch and let us know what you think. Tweet us at known and ever or send us an email at podcast at knownandever.net and let us know where you want the next Burnley Football Club to go. Um, right, we're just going to finish off this week then, guys. I just want to have a very quick look over the Caribou Cup because, of course, um, Richard, we had that fantastic win midweek against Millwall to put us um, into the fourth round of the Cup. We already knew before the game that our opponents were City, um, who have been teasing us a little bit this week by saying that 
they're going to play just their kids, which would be lovely. Um, but just a quick mention, I thought it was quite a, a professional performance and what a strike from Brownhill. That's that's worthy of a mention for sure. Yeah, I really enjoyed the game on Wednesday. Um, I thought the young players who come in did really well. I'm really impressed with Benson. I think he'll do him, hopefully we get an, another midfielder in and he can have a low one, even if it's six months, but in the championship playing regular football. Seen him at Fleetwood last year, looks a real talent, linked well with Brownell and yeah, what a strike. Um, talk about a strike to you know to get you off your seat and that was brilliant. As George mentioned before, you know, we really want to see Brownell in, in, in central midfield. He does okay on the wing, but it's definitely not his position. Yeah, so it was a good performance and we've got the um fantastic reward of being at home to City on a Wednesday night. You never know. You never know. I don't think they're going to play too strong of a side, but I still think it'll be stronger than ours. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, George, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I, we've been after a cup run for absolutely ages. I saw. I, I mentioned this at the podcast last week that um, I saw a fantastic tweet or somebody was saying we we're going to um, accidentally end up at Wembley this season, which would just be hilarious. Um, we don't really have the squad to swap people around, but do you think Darch will carry on and play the kids again? I think certainly in the Millwall review, Bailey Peacock, Farrell, Young Thomas, Benson, Glennon, they all had really, really good games. I think stick with them, wouldn't you say? Yeah, because either way, we're going to get knocked out. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> come on! I'm missing negativity this week. <laughs> it feels unusual, but you know, at the end of the day, it's before we started recording, I was thinking like, it's nice to talk about Millwall, but at the end of the day, tomorrow we're going to get knocked out. So it would be nice to see a few of the kids again. I was at work when the Millwall game was on, but it was really good to see on Twitter afterwards. It was just full of gleaming reports of how good these young players were. Uh, Benson in particular, I remember seeing seeing him at... Well, in the summer of 2018, I saw McNeil play away at Preston in pre-season. I thought, you know, he, seen, he looks a player and obviously we've gone to see how good he's been. So it's, it's really nice when you get those moments. And last last summer, I think it was, uh, 2019, I saw Benson play away at Fleetwood and he had a really good game there. So, you know, no pressure on him. But if he could be a breakthrough like McNeil did, you know, that would be really, really cracking. Yeah, I think... How do I feel about the Caribou Cup? I, I'm terrible with this and, and regular listeners will remember this. Every season I want to go as far as we can. So even if it is only the League Cup, I, I want to see us get past. And I think, do you know what? I think Pep owes us one. I think we've we've had too many seasons where um, Pep's played a ridiculously strong side against us. I think he owes us the chance to play the kids. Um, I want to say... Um, Richard, before we leave, I just want to have a quick prediction. Um, I wanted to say, actually, no, I'm not going to say that because I'm going to leave myself open for massive tweets coming over. I'm going to not be controversial. Uh, Richard, let's finish off with with the Caribou Cup then. Um, Let's assume that Pep plays his stronger side. Can you give us a prediction? Any chance of a win? No, um, I don't know. Listen, we we don't know what Burnley's going to turn up. It'll be very, very hard to beat City. I'll I'll go 2-0 City. I think it'll be quite routine for them, but... Fingers crossed, you never know, we might be able to go 1-0 up and let's hope for the return of um, Tolkovsky then tomorrow. Oh, I love it, Tolkovsky, the tour episode. George, can you tour the party line and tell us what you think the tomorrow's result will be? Yeah, it's going to be 2-1 Burnley and Benson's going to score two. Wow. <laughs> Neg- negative George has gone. <laughs> Excellent. Well, again, uh, if you are going to the game, hopefully we'll get this podcast out for you tomorrow so you can be listening. To, going to the game. I just I just defaulted to if you're going to the game, didn't 
Wow. What a rub. None of us are going to any games forever. Um, if you're going to be watching tomorrow night, if you're going to be stumping up the tenor, I think it's the tenor again, isn't it, to, to watch, then um, obviously do enjoy the game and let us know what you think the score predictions will be. Um, that is all we've got time for this week. There are a few other items that we didn't quite get a chance to look at, so we're going to stick them on the agenda for next week. Um, one of them is the the announcement that there's going to be no paper programmes this season. We've all got to get a Clarets Plus subscription instead, and they're all going digital. And um, one of our um, listeners, Tony, emailed us to talk about games not being free to air on channels such as um, Skypick and things like that. So there's quite a few um, listeners and fans who are actually season ticket holders who don't subscribe to premium sports channels are actually really missing out at the moment. Um, I think a couple of people have asked us to comment on that. So we are going to be looking at those two particular issues and the challenges in covid football world um next week so if you've got any strong opinions of that or you want us to discuss anything further then drop us a line podcast at nonanever.net or tweet us at no nay never and we will add those to the list and um, the only other thing to mention before we leave is that we have got a fantastic podcast coming to you um, the week beginning the 12th of october which is the um international break uh, burnley fan and radio one dj jordan north will be joining us for a one-off special he'll be talking all things claret and blue and hopefully Hopefully by then we'll have a few, if not a couple of wins under our belt or some good signings and he can um, tell us what his views will be and what he thinks the Clarets season will pull out. Um, that's all we've got time for then. My thanks as ever go to producer Matt, who um, always knits this together and, and does a good job. You'll be pleased to know, producer Matt, that there's not been that many editing notes, predominantly listeners, because we actually had to can. Um, take one of this podcast about five minutes in because it was just going terribly badly and I even started by trying to preview the Leicester game which was actually last week so not really doing my homework and trying to repeat a podcast so luckily Matt take two went a lot lot smoother um thanks to uh band joyce who provided us for our music this week and uh listen up listeners as well because we might be having a familiar voice in the next coming weeks giving our jingles and our links so you might hear a voice you may be missing at the moment but are soon to hear back there you go for a bit of trivia um thanks to george and richard for joining me in the studio and putting their time and effort into this week's podcast thanks boys uh, but finally thanks to you the listeners for downloading and listening to this podcast your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you we will be back on friday for the preview show dave and i will be looking ahead to the weekend's fixtures and the rest of the panel will be back next tuesday to have a look at um hopefully and so the first three points of the season and the fourth round of the caribou cup i've been natalie bromley this has been the known and never podcast until next the Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. 
Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.